Hello and welcome to We Came From The 80s, the podcast where we talk about movies we mistakenly thought were cool. I'm your host, Farron, and I'm joined by my crazy old aunt, Adam. The house knows everything about you. Which house, yours or mine? Because you're on Skype. Yes. Oh, good news. <laughs> okay. So we are doing, again, the movie House, which premiered, just like last time, on the 28th of February, 1986. It was directed by Steve Miner. It was written, the story, by Fred Decker, who directed Monster Squad. And the screenplay was by Ethan Wiley. And it stars William Katz. Uh, he had done a number of other movies. He was in a weird show in the 80s called Greatest American Hero. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. About some loser who gets like a superhero suit from aliens, but they don't leave him instructions. So he's like really <laughs> bad at it. Okay. Um, George Went, who of course everyone knows as Norm from Norm. Cheers. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Yeah, uh, he plays Harold. And Richard Mall, uh, this is the second movie we've done with him. Of course, he plays Bull on Night Court. The Dungeon Master in the movie, The Dungeon Master. Uh, Get it out here... of your system. Yeah. You know, nah. Go ahead, say it. Get it out of your okay. system. Okay. Do you fancy music? There it is. <laughs> there it is. Now I can move <laughs> on, right? He plays Big Ben, uh, the bad guy. And so this was rated R, and it was made on a budget of $3 million, and it really shows. Yeah. Uh, but it made $19.4 So that's a pretty kick-ass return on investment. Which is astonishing. Like, you yeah. feel like this had had to have become more of a cult classic but before you had sent this to me i had never heard of this movie before yeah no it didn't become a cult classic i mean maybe there's some cult out there that's into it but it's not a classic by any not stretch the fun cult yeah well there were like four of them and the second one is called house two the second story haha ha. <laughs> i i still don't know what the third one is called i'm assuming it's house three ah fuck it and <laughs> house four the repossession so, okay, whatever. I got nothing. Yeah, they uh, take the house away and then put a new ghost into it. You know, I don't even know. <laughs> I saw the second one, and it, it leans way heavier into the comedy mm -hmm. than this one does. Right. Uh, and this one leans pretty heavy into the comedy at times. Yeah, but not at first. I mean, when we talked about this last night, and I, I suppose we should talk, I suppose we should quickly mention this. Uh, this is the second time we're recording this in 24 yeah. hours. On Thursday, I joked that when we did the Back to the Future 1 podcast, there was going to be a storm, and we wondered whether it would give us the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity we needed. And it turned out instead that 10-minute drive north of where I live, the fourth costliest natural disaster in Canadian history went down, which was the hailstorm from hell. And so on <laughs> Thursday, I joked, so what is it going to be this time when we record on Saturday? Nuclear war? Heather said nothing would surprise her at this point, and not 30 seconds later, we got a tornado warning, uh, which thankfully did not occur. But no. last night, it turns out the disaster was neither caused by a, a weather. It was caused by the two idiots recording the podcast, which is to say <laughs> you and I. So, yeah, we uh, done goofed. Yeah, so Skype had you uh, recording through your non-gamer headset and had 
because it has a mic on it, but it's not yeah. a boom mic. And yeah. mine, oh, this is even better. It was recording through the lid of my laptop, you know, the mic on there. And of course, I keep my laptop closed when I'm at home. So despite the fact that we both have really nice mics, neither of us was being recorded. And the end result <laughs> is we sound like some spy was recording us through a wall with, with spy gear. It's pretty awesome. They were just going for a fun film. Yeah, well, it, it definitely shoots for horror comedy, and it, and it nails... But this time, we did a sound check, which we've done like the 55 other times we've done recordings. We didn't do it last night. I don't know why, but we've, we're doing it this time. This actually isn't the first time we've had to re-record an episode. We had to redo Top Gun, because the first yeah. one was a disaster. But that took like a year and a half, and the next time, we, we brought in <laughs> Heather. And then we screwed up Raiders of the Lost Ark. We recorded it. The, the sound was abysmal, and we just did it again the next morning. And it, you know, it turned out okay. So hopefully this yeah. one as well. well. So yeah, we'll, so we'll be going through and we'll be telling each other the same jokes that we told each other last time. So if we don't seem as into it, we're very sorry, listeners. I hope that you <laughs> find us funny still. Yeah, or we can just move through the movie. So well, anyway, this movie, like obviously it was restricted. I didn't see it in theaters. If it came out in February of '86, I probably saw it the summer of '86. I assume I rented it. I would have been 11 years old. And remember, we were talking about this when we did uh, Chopping Mall. The the look on the cover of the v, of the VHS, the poster art was how you got the attention of renters or potential right. renters. And this has a really cool poster with the rotted hand ringing the doorbell. And <laughs> the I'm tagline. sure th- I don't even know what the tagline was. Ding dong, um, you're dead. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like it, it just it screamed early to mid 80s slasher flick. Yeah. And I had no idea it was a comedy. And, you know, I was 11 or 12, depending on when I saw it that summer. But as a kid, it never occurred to me it was meant to be funny. It was just a, a not terribly scary horror film. Turns out it's funny <laughs> and not terribly yeah. scary. You know, um, I mean, it has its moments, but. And of course, you saw it yesterday for the first time. Yes, yes. Um, that and was the first you... time I'd ever seen this film. And, and you're going to watch it again. You watched it again today, right? In preparation for the re-recording. Sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I will not. Be, I will not be watching this one again. This is a uh, good one to watch once if you're throwing together a, a B movie night to watch with your friends. That's a good point. Yeah, that would actually work really well. You know, you got a bunch of friends together. You just want to watch a bunch of stupid movies. I wouldn't recommend Chopping Mall because it's just bad. But this one, I think, would work. Yeah, I, I definitely think it would. It especially because it throws you a hard hook about halfway through and and really leans into the comedy but yeah yeah it's um it's fun it's not a great film there's a lot of potential you know we spent a lot of time talking about how there's the movie you wish you saw yeah but that ain't it like i wish the christopher reeve movies superman one and two were less cheesy because they're otherwise great movies but that's not the movie they made the no. movie they made has cheese in it. So you have to accept it. What's so funny? <laughs> just, just, <laughs> queso Superman. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Going back to the horror film. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's go through this, see what we see again. Yeah. And uh, see if it's any more interesting the second time we review it. So uh, it should be noted that the house, which is essentially one of the characters in this film, is a real house. It was built in the 1880s somewhere in California. They filmed most of the movie there. They built some sets probably for the rooms where they have like portals to the other place. Yeah. Uh, they probably rebuilt those as sets. But most of this was filmed on location inside and out at the house. They repainted it. 
I mean, I think it was looking a little shoddy. They oh. added those those things on top of the house, like those the metal horns. Yeah, the pointy yeah. things. They added the wrought iron fence, and man, did they get their money out of that one because they just kept. Oh yeah. Like, like the director must have spent a whole day and night just having the camera go back and forth in front of that wrought iron fence, <laughs> looking up at the house. So it's sort of the house is sort of staring down at you. Yeah. I I think kind of what they were going for is the Amityville horror thing. Like you've seen pictures of that house, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like I think they were going for that same feel. Like the house is a character, and. I think they actually kind of managed it up until you realize maybe it isn't the house. Maybe yeah. it is. And yeah, we'll have to talk about that. I, so I do want to note one thing before we mm-hmm. go forward here is that sure. if it were not for the scary music, mm-hmm. this would be a perfectly lovely place to look at and say, I want to live there. Like it's a beautiful home. It totally is. I yeah. love that front foyer. I love that staircase. The rest of it's all these like narrow corridors and small rooms. It's very Victorian. Yeah. But yeah, it's a gorgeous house. And it's still there, by the way. Yeah, like the the soundtrack, it's like when they auditioned composers, they said, can you do horror? Can you do <laughs> like a horror music thing? And so he came back with a lot of cello and plinkety plinks and... Yeah. Off-brand Friday the 13th, please. Yeah, kind of, uh, kind of that, yeah. Uh, and so it plays that, and we get to sort of, essentially it gives us a tour of the house, front yeah. and back. It gets these great close-ups, and then we sort of walk through the backyard, which I understand they kind of spruced up for the movie. It wasn't nearly as pretty in mm-hmm. real life. You know, you do what you got to do. Yeah. Uh, they show a lot of visions in this, ooh, scary negative, where they literally just, <laughs> it's like film negative. Yeah. I mean, it, it works. It, you know, it I mean, does. Obviously, the communication is something is wrong with this house. Yeah, I never would have known, you yeah, know, right? considering. The music didn't give it away. Yeah, or the, the, the title of the movie, you know, House. Yeah. Yeah, it's, my guess is it's not about pool or fire hydrant. You really? Know, I thought a, this was all about windows. Not so much. Sorry, man. <laughs> so anyway. We start off with the grocery boy, which is was a thing. Does he actually Gro- say his name at any point in this, or does he just say, Hi, it's the grocery boy? Mrs. Hooper? Mrs. Hooper, I, I brought you groceries. Hello? Uh, no, in fact, in IMDb, <laughs> he's listed as grocery boy. He shows up on his moped. It's one thing of groceries. He knocks on the door. And the door opens on its own. I mean, okay, it doesn't open on its own. It's just, it's unlatched and opens. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So he goes in, he leaves the stuff on the foyer table, this really cool round table where you drop your keys and your phone books and so forth, which is convenient for later. He hears thumping and, and so forth, and he goes to check it out. And he heads up the stairs, and he sees the first of what is going to be this long line of just fucked up paintings. Um, Yeah. turns, Turns out Aunt Elizabeth is one, a really good artist, mm-hmm. and B, in need of some mental health support. Yeah. Uh, like, even he looks at it and goes, ooh, sick. And that's yeah. not like sick as in cool, it's sick as in, ooh, that's gross. And it's like a woman half buried and her ribcage sticking out and hands on fire and crazy shit like that. Yeah, two people and, in fire, a woman strung up in the middle of the air with disembodied yeah. eyes looking at her. Yeah. And by the way, that's the the most normal painting we're going yes. to see in this film. Yes. Um, I like her taste in art. So he wanders into, I don't think we ever decided if it was a sitting room or a bedroom, but he goes just, into 
Yeah, I'm just watching through it right now. The first room that he goes into is very distinctly a sitting room. It's got a couple of chairs, a chaise lounge in it. The second room that he goes into is a bedroom. And that's where she is. That's where she's hung. Okay, so it's the bedroom. Okay. Yeah. He walks into the bedroom, and this is hilarious. It's like he walks right in. He looks straight ahead, then looks to his left, <laughs> then looks to his right, which requires him his eyes to pass through that center line. Yeah. And then he looks back in, the, back in the center in this small room and sees <laughs> Aunt Elizabeth fucking hanging from the ceiling. Yeah. Um, because he didn't see her the first two times. Like, he wa- <laughs> like, really? Okay. And then this bozo goes racing out the house, doesn't think to stop at like, oh, I don't know, the phone. Yeah. Gets on his moped and drives off. Yeah. Or he a is, scooter or whatever. out of there as fast as humanly possible without thinking, hey, there's not really th- anything that's going to hurt me here. Why don't yeah. I call 911? He just fucking freaks and, and bolts. <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, it reminds me of a, a medical video they made for the army once in this and it was all actors. It wasn't actual soldiers doing it. And the guy, like someone passes out and the guy just freaks and bolts from the room and everyone laughs because it's just so ridiculous. And that's what this guy does. He just fucking bolts. So the next is the funeral where Roger Cobb is standing there. And of course it's raining because it's not a horror movie funeral unless it's raining. Yeah. And it's just him and this old couple who we never know who they are. They're just like, no, old they're, just, they're people who knew his aunt. Yeah. And the old guy says, uh, you know, your aunt was a little senile, but she wouldn't have done this. She wouldn't have committed suicide. Now, my wife, she's crazy, which is what you want to say at a funeral, right? Yeah. Right Uh, in front of your wife. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And Roger Cobb doesn't seem particularly distraught. He's just sort of standing there listening sort of to the priest with his hand in his pocket. Yeah. Dude, it's your aunt's funeral. She raised you. Maybe... I don't know, whatever. Yeah, as we'll uh, discover later in the film, this is the woman who, you know, brought him up after his parents died. Like, yeah. have some emotion, which maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe it's him suffering as a traumatic survivor of Vietnam. I, I don't know. Feel uh, something, damn it. Okay. So this movie was made on a budget of $3 million, and I'm thinking not a lot of that went to the writers. Fair. Uh, yeah. So then the next scene is the bookstore. So we learn that yes. Roger Cobb is a Stephen King-esque writer. So his fans, I'm pretty sure the casting director went next door where they were filming the rock and roll world from Dungeon Master (laughs) and all those punks and said, hey, guys, when you're done here, come on next door and we're going to film you telling this guy that you love his books, because this is the weirdest group of fans I've ever seen. Well, it's Uh, just so eclectic. Like you've got these punk rock people with their look you've got just average joe who looks like he came from a day at the office you've got housewives presumably i guess i don't know yeah it's 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 just this strange broad mix of everybody loves this guy's books and they're all creepy that's the one thing they all have in common uh one of them says oh i love your wife yeah we're divorced now oh would you tell her uh, that i love her stuff we're divorced Divorced. yeah um you know, they, then they ask him, well, what's your next book going to be? And he says, oh, it's a, you know, it's a, a memoir of my time in Vietnam. And they all sort of look disappointed. And then, you know, we see him walking with his agent afterwards. And he says, look, you got to put out a new book. We can't keep doing the same tours anymore. And no one wants to hear about the war in Vietnam. And I got to say that in the mid 80s, there were a lot of movies about Vietnam. And most of them are garbage, including this one. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was like the Vietnam War ended, American involvement in, in the Vietnam War more or less ended in 1973. And then, you know, you see the famous video of the uh, the evacuation of the American embassy in Saigon. That was in yeah. 75, I think. So this is 1986. So it's been, a you know, it's probably been 15 years or so since he was in Vietnam. And, you know, a lot of these writers came back and, you know, they 
they wrote what they knew. This was a common thing. And so it's not surprising that you know, these authors are out there and they want to write about the war. But by the mid 80s, you have, you know, Reagan is the president and they want to sort of move beyond Vietnam. And, you know, so at least it's realistic. Yeah, I mean, we'll give them that they they get they get something right here, even if it's not the actual Vietnam stuff. <laughs> oh, God, that's that's a shit show. Um, in the meantime, he goes back to his apartment, which we're, we're not sure whether he actually burns down or not. Uh, because he walks in, first thing he does is he goes to his freezer in this shitty little apartment he has. <laughs> oh, that's not fair. It's actually a nice little apartment, um, but it's small. Yeah. He takes a TV dinner out of the freezer, does not bother taking it out of the, the box, throws the whole thing in the microwave, and as you noted, sets it for... 30 minutes. 30 minutes. So <laughs> I think his decision to move into his aunt's house is guided not so much by the need for isolation as the need for a place after he burned his goddamn house to the ground. Yeah, that's, and, I mean, like, what? I just, I'm so confused as to why. <laughs> 30 minutes. Wow. 30 minutes. Um, well, I mean, I've had with them, they cooked for 15, but not in the cardboard that's yeah bad, no you take it out of the cardboard cardboard tends to you know do that thing where it burns yeah that's that's weird how that works yeah so yeah. then he goes over to his 1986 computer which boots up in like five seconds bang <laughs> he turns it on and the, the cover page of his memoir one man's tale a personal account of the vietnam war by roger cobb is right there on the screen i got a pretty nice little gaming rig here with us with a solid state drive so things boot up quickly and it's even like 45 seconds a minute before yep. mine is up and running once you know dropbox has finished its thing and and you know everything's updated it's still yep. a minute but yep. this guy in 1986 bang it's on that's impressive you flip that switch and you're into your word processor because that is the only thing that thing does yeah well for some of those computers that's probably true but he doesn't have the heart to start it so he gets on the phone he reaches out to an fbi agent and asks if there's any word about his son we already know there's something bothering him that he has to sort of get back into gear get back writing that we got that from him chatting with his uh, his agent and now we know what it is, is his son is missing and the fbi are looking for him and he says oh and i heard from decker at cia which i'm sure is a reference to the writer because fred decker is the guy who wrote this thing right right right, right. Says, yeah, i heard from fred decker at cia leave him alone <laughs> so clearly roger cobb's got some paranoid shit going on if he's speaking to people yeah. at cia like what does he think they're gonna do yeah, uh, that's that's just somebody who's reaching out for everything that they can think of. Yeah, that's that's some straw grasping there. Yeah. Uh, and then he gets a call from his ex-wife, who it's pretty clear the minute you see her is some sort of movie actress. Actually, I guess we already know that from the from the book signing. But she's in an award ceremony. And she's called him to check in on him. He fakes his way through it by cranking up a stereo and pretending to be playing a poker game. He says, oh, yeah, who's there? um uh, the, know, guys? the guys guys <laughs> which guys oh you know um yeah once once again i'm reminded by of sarah palin who was asked so which magazines and newspapers do you read oh you know like all of them <laughs> <laughs> okay sarah and i don't even remember why it is she's calling maybe it's just a check-in on her yeah she's just calling to say hi i'm at the award show thought of you figured i'd check in on you yeah and then he, oh, yeah, that's right. I, I forgot you were at the, I think that they're trying to skirt around the fact that it's the Oscars without saying the word Oscars. Uh, I don't think it's the Oscar. I mean, it's hard to tell, really. I mean, yeah. they, they filmed this thing in the corner of a building somewhere with a, yeah. phone to, with, 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 with a pay phone. That doesn't look and, like a particularly elegant place to hold a, a 
uh, award ceremony. Yeah, we'll accept that uh, she's wearing a dress and mm. uh, the guy who's accosting her is wearing a tux. But other than yeah. that, yeah, it's it's in the corner of the movie studio's lot, you know, in their office yeah. building or something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then he has this neat, uh, he has this neat nightmare, which mm-hmm. is seeing his his son, who looks to be about six or seven, yeah, playing in a jungle beside a pool of water and this like dead oh, hands. I'm sorry. And a cross. There's a cross in the ground beside him. Is there? Yeah. As as the hand comes out of the ground to grab the kid, there's a, a crucifix. Oh, that's stuck right. Yeah, like- him. That's right, like he's playing in his own grave. Yeah. And yeah, hand comes out and he screams and Roger wakes up and well, okay. Um, then he immediately packs his bag. That's right. <laughs> uh, again, I'm convinced he saw the fire and had the time to pack his shit and get out. Uh, <laughs> then he heads over to his aunt's place, which is up for sale. He, you know, the real estate agent offers to give him a tour. And this is where oh. we learn that actually his he grew up here. After his mother died, his aunt raised him. So we have no idea what happened to dad. We'll assume dad is either out of the picture or was already dead. Who the hell knows? Oh, uh, hey, as uh, as we're going through here, I just want to take a note of this. I didn't notice this before, but the name of the realtor, uh, is, uh, his last name is Craven. It's a, uh, you're kidding. No. Hang on, let me see. <laughs> uh, Craven Real Estate. That's that's cute. Or that's cute. exclusive or something like that. Yeah, Wes Craven. That's <laughs> that's actually cute. I'll give yeah. him credit for that. That's a that's a cute little reference. Yeah. So clearly, you know, they got their their money's worth out of this writer. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm lying. Uh, and, and so you know, they get a tour of the place, and he takes him out back, and we see the pool, and he has another flat. Is that where he has the flashback? Uh, well, first he goes into the house. They wander through the house a little bit. Right, right, right. And yeah, but then, then they, they go, go out to the pool. Yeah, right. He has the flashback, which is him a few years earlier, sort of he- uh, trimming the hedges and his kid playing. And yeah. then he looks and the kid suddenly isn't there. He starts calling his name. He goes out front just in time to see a car peel away. Yeah. The wife because at that point. Obviously, they're still married. She comes she comes out and he says, have you seen Jimmy or whatever the kid's name is. And I'm just noticing they use twins, Eric and Mark Silver, which is oh, very cool. Common. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. For little kids, that's common. I mean, Mary, Kate, and Ashley, whatever, yeah. same thing. You um, use kids because there's certain amounts of like filming time yeah. that two kids could do. So if you had twins, then you could double the like the time they were on set. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. the kid, Jimmy, they're screaming, where's Jimmy? Where's Jimmy? They run around. He runs back into the backyard, sees yeah. the kid drowning in the pool, dives in, and of course, the the kid isn't there. Uh, and then we're snapped back to the present and they go into this shed, which, you know, it's a pretty large shed. Um, yeah, it looks more and, like a garage more than anything else yeah. to me. But uh, one thing we forgot to mention is that what we learn is that his uncle was a champion fisherman because they've got oh, the yes. mounted on the wall, yes. which will be important later. Not interesting, <laughs> but important. So, yeah. So yeah, anyway, they're in this shed and this is actually... This right here is our first hint that this might be a comedy, which is that the real estate agent is futzing around with a spear gun and shoots it and misses Roger's head by like an inch. An inch, yeah. And just says, sorry. Sorry about that. Same hijinks that I've seen in, well, Gilligan's Island. Let's start there. I mean, in a thousand other things. And then you look over and there's the second in our cavalcade of fucked up art is this, (laughs) this painting which is not quite finished. And, and this is actually uh, 
uh, a detail that pays off yeah. that she still got the rag that she uses to clean her brushes hanging on the top left corner of the painting. But we can see most of it, which is a painting of herself, the little old, you know, this little old lady, Aunt Elizabeth, staring into a closet with, you know, like poltergeist level shit happening around her. Yeah. And, you know, a white light coming from the uh, closet as one sees. Clocks and flying around, clocks blood flying coming around. out of the sink. Yeah, it's 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 all totally normal stuff to paint. Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then we we sort of wind up in another flashback, which is you know back the day that Jimmy was kidnapped went and missing, went missing. Yeah, which is you know the cop saying, "Look, we checked the pool; he's not there." And I swear I saw him. Yeah, yeah, we believe it, but he's not there. And then. And Elizabeth shows up and says, it's the house, which is, you know, again, totally normal. Yeah, yeah. And she yeah. says it in this most, the most factual way possible, which really lends, lends to the whole, she, oh, she's just insane. She's crazy. Yeah. And uh, the wife has no problem letting Aunt Elizabeth know that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then we're back in the present day again, and he decides, oh, I'm not going to sell. I'm going to stay here a while and write. So, well, yeah. okay. He tries to write some more. He can't. He no, goes, he goes into the room with the marlin and the jaw yeah. of something else that's big and scary. Yeah, like a shark or something, maybe. I'm not really sure. But he pokes his finger on it and yeah. causes himself to bleed. Yeah. And, um, and if this were a more ambitious or well-written movie, that blood would be symbolic that he's fed the house, he's woken it up or something. But no, nah, it's just a cut finger. Well, I mean, the house has already been woken up, though. Allegedly. Yeah, but. But again, this would be something that a better writer would, you know, do something with. Fair, have a, fair. So he hears a lot of movement upstairs. He goes upstairs. He wanders around, goes into this room and that room. Eventually, he goes into the bedroom where his aunt is standing. And she says to him, the house got me, Roger, and it'll get you to don't let it beat you. She gets on that chair, puts her head in the noose, jumps for it and disappears. Yeah. So he's, you know, he's having a good night. That's kind of the only thing that happens to him that night, except he decides to go to sleep on what I gather is his son's old room. Yeah. I think that's uh, what we settled on, which is, you know, it's like a, a settler's wagon type room. Like if you think mm -hmm. of the wagon that like Charles Ingalls would have ridden, it's a pretty cool bed, but there's no way that a grown guy who's, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how tall William Katz is, but I'm going to say he's at least five, five. Yeah. He doesn't fit in that bed. I'm sorry. Also, um, let's take note of the fact that it is covered with like teddy bear, blankets i would yeah. be i think you'd be hard stressed to find a teddy bear blanket that would go over a full-size grown man yeah oh um, though he does try to take the valium that night and puts it back away he, change, yeah, he changes his mind yeah um, and well it's good because the last time you know he burned down his apartment yeah uh, so the next morning he's out taking the garbage out he spots this woman will later learn her name learn her name is tanya and she's wearing one of these 1980s spray-on leotard exercise suits <laughs> and he sort of gawks at her and then we see his neighbor, Harold, yeah. or Normie, I call him what you want. George, George went and he says, yeah, she's pretty, isn't she? And they talk. Hey, it's great to have a new neighbor. Woman lived here before you was nuts. Biggest bitch under the sun. Just a senile old hag, really. Wouldn't be surprised if someone just got fed up and off her, you know what I mean? She was my aunt. Heart of gold, though. Just a, a saint, really. And uh, such a beautiful woman for her age. Mm -hmm he sort of clues in that, oh, you're Roger Cobb. I've got one of your books. And he pulls out this book that looks like he may have used it to clean his blender at one point or another. It's just random sheets. And 
it's funny because Roger right off the bat clearly is not interested in dealing with this guy and says, yeah, I'm here for the uh, solitude. See you later. Um, Though it's funny because he seems like a super nice guy. He does. I Um, mean, like I would like him as a neighbor. I think that he'd be great to have as a neighbor who you can convince to come over. Yeah, he keeps showing up in your house in the middle of the night with food, not even ringing the doorbell, just walks into your house, walks upstairs to see where you are. Hi, I've got food. Okay, uh, fix to that is lock your damn door. Yeah, let's uh, let's start there. <laughs> but, uh, okay. So yeah, so they have an interesting conversation, and then we're back at, it's nighttime, he's writing again, so he's like me, he writes at night, and now we finally get to see sort of, kind of his experience in Vietnam. Now here's the thing. There are a lot of great movies about Vietnam that come out of the 80s and 70s. Apocalypse Now. Platoon, I believe, came out the same year. Hell of a movie. We'll have to do it at some point. House, obviously. Uh, No. Um, (laughs) This is a shitty movie. It's like, it's just all the the bad B-movie tropes about Vietnam. There's a squad of infantry. They're somewhere in the jungle. They have to get from point A to B. Let's go and not get shot. Like, that's it. And we learn that you know, he's uh, he's the fire team partner for the M60 gunner. And we know that because he's carrying the extra ammunition for the M60 gunner. Mm-hmm. And the M60 gunner is Richard Mull, the dungeon master, or the maybe asshole. he's a bailiff <laughs> in a court. Is he a bailiff in a court or a dungeon master? It's hard to tell. Uh, well, here he's one, just, really. Yeah. Here he's just an asshole. It's played by Richard Mull, who, I mean, he does what he can with the part. But what we learn is he's one of these guys you meet who loves to torment the people around him. And he thinks he's fucking hilarious while he does it mm-hmm. and doesn't seem to realize, or perhaps does realize and doesn't care that everyone thinks he's an asshole. Yeah. He, uh, it, it's everything from just being entirely gung ho and feeling self-righteous to, uh, pranking the guy who asks you for a smoke and, and in the, a... in the, in the tin of cigarettes, he's got a small snake that snake. he's tossed in there. Like he's just a dick. Yeah, and his squad is made up of stereotypes, the black soldiers who keep together, the podhead who's smoking right there in the (laughs) field, because that's realistic, sure. Like, it's not good, but it's interesting because every time we see one of these flashbacks from now on, they don't last long, and he has to step back from the computer, because clearly there is a lot of PTSD. I mean, of course there was. He went to Vietnam. Of course there is. But it's clearly very upsetting for him, but obviously we don't know why. And he's, for whatever reason, he's capable of writing with the television on. I don't get that at all. And it's playing some horror movie. And he grabs the TV changer, the TV channel or whatever, TV remote, and he turns it off. But then he looks out the window of wherever he is and he sees his son. Yeah. And he turns him off to like he's a television. Like a television program. And But it's it's interesting because you start to wonder, like, is this going to be all psychological drama of him facing down his PTSD and the loss of his son? Does the TV have something to do with it? But no, this is just like the cutting his finger or anything yeah. else. It's just sort of there. And this is what we spent probably more time on last night than anything else was complaining that there were so many potential moments for things to pay off the TV, the fish, or the fish jaw, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's so, much so many, so much that somebody who had a better plan could have yeah. really expounded upon and made into something great. Well, you know, I, I, I keep looking at this budget. It's just so small considering right. that these were all fairly, I mean, they weren't like blockbuster actors, but the, you know, Richard Mull, George Went, William Cat, these are, 
good actors yeah. who had television shows. All three of them were in television at the time. So these were all known quantities. And it's like they said, we got three million bucks left. Fuck it, just make it. Right. Like, I don't understand why they didn't try to make more of it, but clearly they did not. In the meantime, what happens now? Well, now he uh, he goes for a, a wander and he goes up to the bedroom to go and look in the closet for the first time. Right. And there's nothing in there. No, there's and, nothing in the closet. And then there so he never goes, will be. That's right. Never will be. Totally. <laughs> so then he goes and he says, ah, screw it. He gets into his uh, his pajamas and his house coat. Yeah. And he decides, no, he wants to look in that closet again. And of course, the closet we're talking about is in the bedroom where Aunt Elizabeth hung herself. Right. And the second time he goes back and he, he goes up and he, he reaches out and grabs the knob and opens the door and there's and nothing, still nothing there. Nothing there. But <laughs> then the grandfather clock strikes midnight. And again, this is another one of those red herrings. Why midnight? Because Fred Decker had heard that in other horror stories, midnight meant something. So yeah. that's what he, so here at midnight, he opens the closet back up. And this kick-ass looking closet monster, which looks like it's something out of the movie Poltergeist, reaches out and grabs him and gouges out his chest. I mean, mm -hmm. not like the thing. He's not like spurting but, blood, but, no, you know, gets a good chunk of flesh out of him. Well, yeah, they do a good job. They It tears his house coat. It, it scratches up his chest, as we'll see a little bit later. But yeah, what I love is he leaves the room. And that's it for the night. Yep. Because apparently it's totally cool to stay in there. Because I'll tell you, if that sucker came out of the closet at me, I would totally believe he was never, ever going to leave the closet. Yeah, exactly. Um, the next morning, a truck pulls up and he's got all of this audiovisual equipment. And then the next thing we see is that all the furniture has been pushed to the back of the room. And mm -hmm. he's got this, this huge setup with all this video equipment, cameras and video recorders and all this shit. And he himself is now in his old army fatigues. He's got a flak jacket, a helmet, goggles. He's doing well. Yeah. yeah. He's doing very I, well. I did notice that apparently he was an early adopter of Betamax as well, because he does have a Betamax camera sitting in that truck as well. Oh, Not just VHS. <laughs> good for him. Anyway, so he's got this whole big audiovisual setup, and he's got a rope around the door handle to the closet. And he does this test run where he pretends to open the door, and he dashes down the hall and dives down the stairs and slides out onto the front walkway where <laughs> Harold is waiting. And Waiting yeah. with his dog. And by the way, it is the same dog. Okay. You are right. It is the All same right. dog from later. And he says, so what are you doing? It's like, oh, you know. Writing. Writing, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, he goes back in. And what happens? He goes he back in and he throws open the door and nothing happens. That's right. He, nothing happens. And then he leaves the room again. And George is standing right there with food. Yeah, well, he, he goes away and he waits till midnight and he hears a chime midnight and he goes screaming back up the stairs to go and, and pull the door. And as he waits and he waits and he waits and then Harold walks in with Chinese food and beer. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and that's where he starts to say, you know, my aunt thinks this house was haunted. And Harold says, yeah, no offense, buddy, but you're like she was Looney Tunes. Yeah, yeah he's already put his foot in his mouth, but now he's just like he's just admitting it, dude, you're. Your aunt was crazy. And yeah. he says, no, no, I believe that uh, the house is haunted. I believe it stole my kid and this and that. And eventually, he, you know, Harold excuses himself and on the way out swipes Roger's like uh, phone book, his, his, his personal little phone notebook. Mm -hmm. And he calls the ex-wife and says, look, you don't know me. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to reach Roger. I'm trying to reach you. You got to go talk to Roger because he's not well. <laughs> 
he's definitely not well. No, um, not even in the slightest. Yeah. So then we, I'm not sure whether it's the same night or if it's the next night, but he's back to writing. Yeah, I think it's the same night. Yeah. And this time we're learning the beginning of the night things went wrong, which is uh, his lieutenant, like they're on a patrol somewhere in Vietnam, and his lieutenant needs someone to take point as they get from point A to B. And no one is willing to do it except for Big Ben. And of course, that means his fire team partner, Roger, has to go with him. Right. And what we learn is that a few things. One, Big Ben is an asshole. He's not a coward, but he's oh. a really shitty soldier who doesn't know how to do point, which is an excellent combination in a jungle war. Yeah. Uh, and again, he had to sort of back away from writing this. So we're sort of snapped out of the flashback because this is all very hard for him. And again, this could have been the off ramp to a better route for this movie a more a deeper movie, uh, more in intelligent movie, but instead this is House. Do you, uh, do you know what would have made this tie together with that a little bit more if mm -hmm. one of the soldiers had been called Brando? Oh dear God! Because uh, the next thing that happens is the Marlin goes wild on the wall. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming. To <laughs> we'll be ending a little early today, and dear God. So then we have the yeah. Then we have the Marlin scene. Have you ever see one of those? fish mounted on wood and it's like a it's like a plastic fish and when you clap it it starts flapping around and singing a song well this does that except there's no clapping and there's no song it just like the marlin starts like obviously things this thing's been dead for decades the yeah. eye starts following him and it starts flopping around he tries to beat the shit out of it with uh, a, fishing a, a fishing trophy which is so ironic <laughs> he goes out to the shed gets the shotgun and a bunch of shells. That's where we discover that the gardening implements have taken on a life of their own and take swings at them. He manages to keep them in the shed uh, by closing For the now. door on them. For now. Get yeah. out? Because the script required it. Duh. He comes back into the kitchen. He trips, spills a bunch of the shells. He doesn't pick them all up. Goes back into the room with the flipping Marlin, shoots the goddamn thing, covers, <laughs> it, with, uh, covers it with a towel. Uh, because of course he does. And then we never hear anything about the Marlin again. Then he goes upstairs. He's really, he's really messed up. He needs to take some Valium. Which he changes his mind and doesn't, does he? No, no he, he, he gets it. scared. Yeah, he gets scared right. and spills him down the sink. Comes back into the, into the hallway and finds that the gardening implements have... Come to say hi. Come to say hi. <laughs> uh, he manages to lock them in the sitting room. Uh, goes no, the bedroom. Down, the bedroom, sorry, the bedroom. Uh, if I ever say sitting room, I just mean the bedroom where Aunt Elizabeth hung herself. Oh, he no, goes it, was, it was his bedroom. Was it? Yeah, it's the room that he's sleeping in. Oh, okay. My bad. Uh, he goes downstairs and his wife is standing at the front door and suddenly it's daytime. Like all this has been happening at night, the writing and the shooting of the Marlin and the attack by the implements. And suddenly it's daytime. Yeah. And well, his wife hang, is standing there. What's up? Hang on. I'm... I'm looking at the scene where he shoots the Marlin and you can see the windows behind him and the windows are lit. Yeah, because this is really shitty continuity. <laughs> it, may, it may shock you, but in addition to hiring poor writers, the director was not up to the challenge. Yeah. That's I mean, not actually fair. It's a cute, it's a cutesy film. I do it. I get a kick out of it, but it's not glorious cinema. Maybe um, it's meant to be right at dawn. Let's go with that. Sure. Anyway, he goes downstairs and his wife is there. And she drops something and bends down to. Uh, I think that uh, there were two. There was a shell on the table. Was that what it was? I think so. Uh, 
And when she gets back up, she's a 350 pound inflated monster w- covered in lipstick with this high pitch uh, Alvin and the Chipmunk sound to her. <laughs> Sandy. blows the monster away the thing goes flying out onto the front porch and there it's his wife in the meantime the shotgun is has woken up norm i mean sorry harold (laughs) and he calls the cops in the meantime roger goes out sees his dead wife drops the shotgun picks her up stuffs her in the closet under the stairs wanders back out onto the front porch where the cops are already pulling up and drawing guns on him yeah sits down casually as anything and starts pretending to clean his rifle yeah whistling like like they didn't see that you're whistling to himself and so the cops haven't put his hands up blah 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 but then they realize he's roger cobb and it's like can i get your autograph sure come on in i'll give you coffee no sorry he wants to use his washroom yes and there's like it's just so stupid Harold manages to get into the house and when the one cop who wants uh, to use the washroom when he accidentally almost opens up the closet with the dead wife slash lipstick monster, uh, he manages to pull him away. You know, it's one of those, will he? Will he reveal the body? Yeah, this is a a poor man's attempt at a telltale heart. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Uh, And uh, he offers the other cop coffee. Harold sort of sneaks in. They're sitting at the kitchen table. Uh, and he serves the coffee in his hand is shaking because he's like, you know, he's a terrified. He, he, he just murdered his wife as far uh, as he knows. Then he sees on the ground there are two shotgun shells. He gets down on the floor to get it. Harold picks him up and says, I got them. And the cop says, no, no, I got them. And you think, ooh, something's going to come of this. But no, he says, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to load the gun. Like, it's just another yeah. lost opportunity. Like, it's, you know, in a better film the cop would have agreed to have coffee with this guy who he had just been pointing a gun at two minutes ago as a way to probe him to see if he really is, you know, stable, but no, yeah, this exactly. is just, this is just a shitty scene. Uh, and, so you've, you've got a guy that just set off his gun twice on his, on his deck twice yeah. while cleaning it. And now has more shotgun shells laying on the ground who is shaking as he serves you your coffee. You don't want to take five minutes to interview him. Yeah, no, no. But why? Why would you do that? Come on. Yeah, this is bad policing. Yeah. Anyway, they see he sees the cops out, and as he does, we get to see the next in our series of totally fucked up art his aunt did, which is a naked woman mm-hmm. dissolving into a pile of dust while flying implements are around her. By flying implements, he means gardening implements. Yeah, yeah. In fact, <laughs> the ones that have been attacking him. Yes. You know, I'm starting to wonder whether these paintings are meant to either predict or show just what happened to the film. It's I, hard to tell, but I, I don't think I want to put that much that, thought into it. I, I would bet that this is supposed to be the most effort that they put into the foreshadowing and thought of this whole yeah. movie. Like this painting obviously is indicative of somebody falling apart and it represents the gardening tools. So that's yeah. probably the decline of the ant. But also like you've got, the the first painting that we saw which is a a woman's body and either ribs or claws coming up out of the ground to absorb it and so maybe people that's on the, maybe fire that, maybe that presages the suicide yeah and yeah. then the second one is the portal because then after that he starts to you know he starts to see the 
the, the shit in the closet. And now this is the implement thing because the very next scene, once the cops are gone, he gets rid of the cops and Harold is the body is gone from the closet. He goes around looking for it. He the, hears something upstairs. Yeah. He has a fight with the lipstick monster and essentially he manages to defeat it by opening the door where the implements are hidden and they stick in her and slice her head off. And that's that. Yeah. Then he bags up the head, brings it into the backyard, buries it, goes back upstairs, bags up the rest of the corpse, hauls it down. And then he notices that Tanya, the sexy neighbor, is in his pool. Yes. And apparently she didn't notice him burying a head. No, we we get like a hard 180 total shift here. After the monster gets killed, the music is happy and fun. He's silly. He's bagging up the head. He drags the body downstairs. It goes thump, 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 thump. Yeah. We've got the, the gorgeous woman hanging out in the pool. Like it, it does a complete 180. Yeah, it's 100%. a complete, it's a complete fuck up. Yeah. And she's flirting with him. And in the meantime, the hand from the body is trying to grab her and he's stepping on it, trying to keep her from noticing. And yeah. of course he's stepping closer to her. So she thinks that he's responding to her and says, I'll leave you alone. I know what a man wants to work and I know what he wants to play. And yeah. off she goes. So then he takes the ax, which is embedded in the creature, hacks this body up into many, many pieces and buries it all over the backyard, uh, which will pay off pretty quickly. Yeah. He goes back inside and cleans himself up, goes touring around the house and he finds his son's bunny and then right. he winds up following his intuition into the backyard where a dog has dug up the hand yeah harold's dog in fact yes, yeah harold's and runs dog. and runs off with it and then he runs back into the house because he's looking for his key so he can go chase the dog down yeah. which is weird because again the, the dog lives next door and at the front door is tanya clearly dressed for a date with a kid yeah um and is that the one you said the, the kid is um yes his uh, kid? Yeah, it is the the protagonist's actor's kid. Where do you see that? Uh, I think it was in the IMDb trivia section. Really? Okay. Yeah, I think so. Or maybe I'm... Doesn't I could have really swore that was where I saw it. Um, yeah. So anyway, it turns out, I know it's time to play now. What he wants uh, Roger to do is babysit. So, okay, he's only willing to babysit because it turns out attached to the back of the kid is the, the lipstick monster's hand. And... Mom is is freaking clueless. Um, <laughs> to let's put talk. It mildly. Well, yeah. Let's start off with she just watched him bury a body, yeah. and she's totally okay, okay handing off her son, who she doesn't notice has you know a severed hand attached to him. But <laughs> whatever. Uh, he manages to get rid of the hand. He flushes it down what is the most powerful residential toilet ever. It flushes <laughs> an entire hand. Seriously. Uh, in the meantime, he manages to get the kid to go to sleep. He does some more writing. We learn a little. We actually don't learn any more other than he went on that patrol. He was now on point with Big Ben ahead of him. He doesn't last long before he has to stop writing again. And he notices the kid's missing and yeah. sees that this kid is playing with two like demon children who race him upstairs to that same damn room again where there is a uh, a chimney. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. He the kids try to drag the the this little boy up the chimney. They don't manage it. Now yeah, the kid he hangs on to this kid's uh, ankles and is trying yeah. to drag him down. And he does. And then he gives yeah. him a bath. And then mom comes and gets him. And like, that's it. But then very quickly thereafter, 
out of the fucking blue, Harold shows up. Yeah, Harold just kind of pops up. Oh no, sorry. Didn't he didn't he ask Harold to come over and watch a movie at midnight? I'm not sure, but later in the day because it, the scene is taking place now suddenly again it's the next day. This this movie does a shit job with timeline. I got to tell no, you. He he does say uh come over and watch a movie at midnight because Harold comes over thinking, "Oh, oh, I hope we haven't missed the beginning of it yet." And then where that's Where is it where is it light at midnight in California? Did I, I miss don't, something? Uh street lights. There are street lights outside. Absolutely. Let's go with that. So he decides to enlist Harold's help in the closet monster, which he says, it isn't a closet monster. It's a really big raccoon. He says, ooh, Cujo the raccoon. So yeah. another horror reference. Yeah, he d- describes it as being the size of a St. Bernard. Yeah. And so he gives the guy the goggles. He hides behind a mattress and says, now, here's the spear gun. Remember to shoot it. It's attached to a line, which is attached to a fishing rod, because of course it is, because that's of how course it is. in yeah. Gilligan's Island and every other comedy. He says, I'm going to open the door, and to make sure we time it right, we're going to do it at midnight. So midnight happens, the yeah. door opens, the monster comes out, he does shoot him, but then flees into the closet, and of course, because this is a comedy, wah, wah, Roger's foot gets caught in a knot in the rope, and he gets dragged into Vietnam. Wee, and that's really where the closet leads to. It leads to yeah. Vietnam. Although uh, that said, I just just found it. The little boy that Roger babysits is uh, played by director Steve Miner's younger son. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. there it is. And so now he's been dragged into Vietnam, and what we see is, in fact, he has been dragged into his own flashback. Because yeah. what we see is that while Big Ben and he were on point, Big Ben gets gunned down. And begs Roger to kill him because he's going to die anyway. Please just finish him off. But Roger can't do it. It's the only scene in this entire goddamn movie that has anything approaching an emotional impact. So he says, I'm going to go get help. And here's the thing. When you're on point, you're not a kilometer away from your people. You're like like 10 meters away from them. Where the hell are they? But he runs off for help. Yeah, and they make the point earlier that, like, in the previous flashback, I think Roger's right, saying, I don't even know far. where they are. That's we, right. We've wandered. gone too far ahead. Yeah, because he's a shitty point man. <laughs> um, so while he runders off to get help, the uh, the Viet Cong grab him and drag him away, Big Ben, and him screaming, I'll get you for this, and, oh, okay. And we go, oh, here's the bad guy. Yeah. In the meantime, he starts getting shot at. He makes a run for it, heads back the way he came, and sees in the middle of the jungle the, the door to his closet. So he jumps through it and we're back in the aunt's room where With he sees that uh, Harold is asleep, drunk, passed out drunk, passed, passed <laughs> out drunk because he doesn't know what the fuck just happened. He's got yeah. a bottle of scotch half empty in his hands. Yeah. He's got a uh, bottle of whiskey. There's a magazine open on the floor. He's laying on the couch. There's empty beer cans. Like, well, what the hell do you do when your neighbor is sucked into his closet by a scary monster? I mean, really? Yeah, I would so, call the cops. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be a thing. But no, this is, I wasn't in the script. Um, <laughs> Anyway, he jumps, he, he drops Harold on a couch and leaves him and that's sort of it. And then this is when things mercifully start to end because he heads back to his, his son's washroom. To go lay down. Well, no. Well, yeah, that's right. He heads back to his washroom. Something dawns on him. He heads back to the shed to fucked up painting number two of the closet. And remember, I told you this pays off where uh, the painter's ra- like the rag that she used to wipe off her paintbrushes was hanging in the corner. He pulls it off. And lo and behold, there is the medicine cabinet from his bathroom with the kid trapped behind it. Goes back into his washroom. He opens the medicine cabinet. There's nothing in it. He closes it and throws something through there. And there's a big black God knows what behind it. So he 
throws down some rope, grabs his shotgun. Something oh. grabs him. Remember, a bunch of arms grab yeah. him. Well, this Tra- is they grab him before he manages to grab the shotgun or anything else. Yeah. He yeah. But in the meantime, he winds up in the scary black place. Yeah. He's heading down. He gets attacked by the bat skeleton demon. bat dragon thing who steals the double barreled shotgun from him, spins it and cocks it like a lever action shotgun. Yeah. Yeah. Shoots the rope. Roger falls into what turns out to be a lake. Yeah. He's back in Vietnam. He comes across his son locked in a bamboo cage, breaks him out. They jump back in the water and come out through the pool. So the whole sort of the, what it comes down to is yes, he really was kidnapped through the pool. Ben grabbed his son through the pool. Yeah. Takes him back into the house from, you know, from the backyard, through the house, out the front door where a rotten corpse of Ben is waiting for him. And as you noticed, as cool as the costume is, you can see the actor's mouth behind the mouth of Big Ben, even though they clearly painted the dude's teeth black so you wouldn't yeah. see it. Like they uh, came so close to nailing it. If it weren't so for that close. detail, this would be an awesome, and it's still an awesome costuming job. It is. And it's just it's, that one shot. Yeah. And you know but, what that is? They didn't look carefully enough at the dailies. Yeah. I mean, we think now when they record, they have monitors so they can see exactly what the shot looks at. Mm-hmm. Back then, you didn't see it till that night yeah. or the next day. That's what they call it, dailies. It's all the stuff you, you recorded the day before or the day of. They didn't have that. So they didn't catch it. They probably said, we are not reshooting that. We don't have time for this bullshit. So there's a chase around the house, blah, blah, blah. It ends with, as all great battles to the death end in the washroom. And he says, you know, like Big Ben lops Roger's hand off with a knife, but then Roger holds his hand up and it's still attached and says, I'm not afraid of you anymore. He takes the kid out of Big Ben's hands, pulls the grenade, jams it into his rotten torso, and walks out the door. There's an explosion. It starts a fire. He walks out the door where his wife actually is because the lipstick monster wasn't his wife. But maybe that's why he divorced her. I don't know. And 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 they live happily ever after him, his wife, and his kid. And yeah. that's just, like, it. So, yeah, that was the movie we watched and reviewed Twice? Twice. Um, twice, yeah. That's that's time we're never getting back. But hey, I get to edit this later, so that's awesome. True. So I'm going to say that I appreciate this movie more than I did when I watched it yesterday and more than when we talked about it yesterday. This is a stupid film, but that's okay. There's nothing wrong with stupid. Is no. it a missed opportunity? Yeah. But it is what it is. It was a quick one-off that they, they pounded out for three million bucks had some fun with it was probably filmed over a summer when all three of these actors were on hiatus from their respective shows, greatest American hero cheers and night court, you know? So it's just something they banged together, had some fun with and moved on. And you know, sometimes that's okay. I I can live with it. Yeah. I wouldn't run out and buy the, uh, the DVD, which to tell you how high quality is, it comes with house Two, the second story. (laughs) Um, I wouldn't be rushing out to buy this thing, but to watch it once and to look at it and say, okay, whatever, you know, I'm good at it. If you were doing, you had it exactly right. If you're doing a B movie festival and you, you don't mind the goofy horror, this is totally cool for that. Yeah. So what do you think of it? Uh, 
so we we rushed through this a lot today um, because we'd already done this once before and we didn't we already knew where we wanted to go with this. There's lots of things that we talked about yesterday when we recorded this and we nitpicked through stuff and yeah. like this doesn't make sense and that doesn't make sense. And there's continuity, continuity error here and there. And, you know, you're you're right on the second time round, It's it's not worth harping on all these things like we we yeah. could sit down and pick all of them apart again and all you listeners would get to learn all the wonderful reasons that make this a b if not c movie and it suffices to say it's a b movie yeah and like you a ton you of know, holes moving it. you know yeah exactly it. it's it's a b movie it does what it says on the tin like you're you're getting what you get here um honestly if you're if you're wanting to kill an hour and a half and you've or you're doing the if you're doing the marathon thing yeah Go for it. If you're looking for anything that you want to try and invest a little bit of thought into, uh, actually, do you know what? If you want to invest a bit of thought into a movie and make yourself feel smart for picking out a million different plot holes, also watch <laughs> yeah. this movie. Yeah. We've done one other horror comedy, which was The Burbs, which is hilarious. Mm-hmm. And we did Poltergeist, which is a great film. Those are better, like Poltergeist, obviously, is just a better movie, period. Yeah. But The Burbs is a better version of the horror comedy. But this is fun. Yeah, it is. You know, and it, it is what it is, and I'll save you the trouble. Don't watch the second one. It blows. <laughs> uh, it's just it's just awful. And yeah, like it's, you know, it's an hour and a half out of your life. Move on. Yeah. So. It, it'll be a use, not a waste. Yep. Um, anyway, I'm going to go and check out my closet. I can hear something in it. And you should go check your medicine cabinet. And if I don't hear from you again, well, I'll go find you in... I guess you'll be in Vietnam. And... Uh, yeah, that's usually where I go when people can't find me. Yeah. Uh, okay, say, uh, say hello to your friend, Big Ben. I certainly will, and you say hello to the bat demon that lives in your closet. Hell yeah. All right, take care, is. everybody. Yeah. <laughs>